And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Couldn't have. Done a better lead in to my guest today is Dr. Lee Merritt. We're going to be talking about the history, the 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 things that are behind globalism and behind this demonic evil that is taking over our world. Ricky, you couldn't have done a more magnificent job of prepping the audience for Dr. Lee Merritt. And I'm telling you, you need, you guys need to stay on and listen to Lee because she is absolutely brilliant and understands the depth of the problem, understands all the nuances, the historical background, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, spiritual background, everything that's behind this this whole globalist movement we're going to be talking about right now. She's going to be doing a presentation at the Red Pill Expo on that very subject. And uh, boy, Ricky, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Lee was just sitting there uh, cheering as you were saying what you were saying, because this it's just is just the truth. Well, the thing is, Ricky, you're, you're uh, you know, you, you just uh, you just set the table for Lee. And, and now she's going to be our guest today, and she's going to be talking about all the nuances, all the things in the historical background. And you guys will uh, you'll, you'll see so much here that's so useful. Uh, we're all in this movement together. We all, Amen. in one form or another, see the picture, because if we didn't, we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing but i'm telling you every time lee comes on i learn so much from her and i haven't been in this uh this movement a short time i've been in this movement for 50 years so uh she astounds me how much she knows and how how well researched uh her information is so with that said we're moving into welcome connecting the dots uh Lee, Dr. Lee Merritt, she is a former, a former uh, Navy uh, surgeon. She's a uh, uh, well, 
She's well-renowned yes. all over yep. the freedom community. She is absolutely brilliant. She's been a medical doctor for yep. many years, and uh, she is uh, orthopedic surgeon. She's been the head of, uh, at, uh, at one time, she was a head of the, uh, help me with this one, Lee, you were the president of the American Association of yeah, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. The physicians and surgeons. This yeah. this lady is brilliant, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to uh, embarrass you coming on, but uh, there's a handful of people that just astound me, and you're one of them because well, of that's... All the background you have and the knowledge. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very generous uh, introduction, but, you know, I'm also an old fart, Dan. Don't think that I didn't have a few years to figure this out. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. That out. Well, we're, we're sharing that, uh, that particular time frame, so I understand completely. But uh, I have to tell you, you know, it, it, it astounds me how, how well you connect the dots. I mean, I mean, that's, you know, when I started this program, eight years ago, I tried to bring in just about every uh, every facet of uh, what was happening in, in the world and why it was happening and connect the dots. And uh, I'm telling you, I you're one of three people that I know who have such an incredibly vast knowledge of what's going on. And um, I think you may be the number one. So we'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Well, you know, I just I just go down these weird rabbit holes and 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 it's funny when you just don't have any preconceived notions, you can find a lot of different things. So, um, you know, when 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 I won't I won't uh, give away what I'm going to talk about red pill per se, but I will I tell you what, I'm going to start with a a slide of Joe Friday if you remember Sergeant mm -hmm. Joe Friday, Dragnet. Mm -hmm. And what was he he always saying just the facts, ma'am. You know, it's time for us to put away our preconceived notions and start looking Amen. at the facts of the world and try and make sense of them, regardless of where it takes us. Just let's take, let's just look at the facts and see what we conclude from that. And uh, you know, your the previous speaker just was doing that very well about when you actually examine the people involved here. And I use the term people a little bit loosely because you know we have to be we have to open our eyes to all potentialities here. And um, one of the things that's gotten my eyes open is just the symbolism. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, do you know where the, you know, for example, do you know where the RX symbol comes when you get a prescription from the doctor? His prescription pad always has this big RX on it. And, and it's a symbol of pharmacy. They have it all over the place. But that is, that is a stylized version of the eye of Horus. That's really? where it comes from. Yes, uh, there, I traced this back to ancient Egypt, and actually, it, it, it's it's crazy. There's just a lot of stuff that we don't uh, recognize, and and I'll just give you this little clue. I, this is what I was going to talk to you about today. If you wanted to talk some, I was going to do some historical ethics stuff, but but it's interesting that the 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 uh, the guy who's the executive director of Burke's Peerage, if you know what Burke's Peerage is, Burke's Peerage is the book of of um, royalty for the british mm -hmm. royal system all the you know the barons and you know they know in the eight and this goes way back into the 1500s at least and and you i actually own a copy from 1937 and it's interesting it's i got this in my used bookstore and when i got home i realized this is probably more valuable than i realized because this has the insert when king george abdicated and they had to change it at the last minute and put this insert 
loosely in the book. So it's kind of a cool book. But the guy that's in charge of Burke's Peerage today said up through, uh, and this was, he was saying this, I guess, it was this was before Trump and probably before Obama. But um, he said 32 of the presidents are Merovingians, and meaning they're related to Charlemagne pretty directly. And they and in every presidential election going back to George Washington, the guy with the most royal lineage, highest royal lineage, if you, you know, Burke's Peerage, you know, puts people on a pedestal, they figure out, okay, uh, Joe Blow is slightly higher on the lineage scale than Sally Smith. You know, it's just like everybody's got their little position. And uh, and and so every presidential election going back to George Washington has been determined by the amount of royal blood. Wow. Now, I mean, you, you, we, again, that's I'm not I'm not I'm not here. To, I'm not proving things like a scientific article. This is Joe Friday just picking up the facts and then we can see where they go because okay. there's a lot of strange stuff here. Good. She's right, and I would like to say one thing, if I may. The name, the surname DeSantis, there's a C in there, but when we came through Ellis Island, they took the C off because they were English. The name DeSantis, you notice it doesn't end in a vowel. Italian names that don't end in a vowel come directly out of Rome. So DeSantis, the lineage... Go do your homework on that. You'll see what yeah. I'm talking well, you're, about. You, you, you need to come and do the intro to my talk. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, not only will it not matter because they can control the voting machines until we get, but even if we got rid of the voting machines, the world has an overlay of evil that is controlling the whole system. So every time we vote somebody up there, they become controlled. And it's it's these guys make the Sicilian uh, mob look like choir boys. I'm just going to say in terms of their threats and their secrecy. So what I, I was in the Navy, as, as they said, you know, I was in the Navy for 10 years. And I, I'll admit, I got this from dating Navy submariners years ago, but I was up in Groton, Connecticut in the and This was the nuclear submarine base, right? And, uh, you know, they would. So one of the things that the game that they played during during the Cold War was and that's probably still going on. I'm not sure. But um, the 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 Russian uh, submarines were noisier than we were. So we could tra track them a lot better than they could find us. And so you would get on that. These guys would one of the games they played or the war games, they would get alongside underneath the water. God knows how deep. And they would try and track and trace and stay you know, just basically like a hound dog on this Russian submarine. And our submarines would, you know, get used to, they'd know the name of the boat, they'd know the name of the, the commander of the Russian sub, they kind of got news to his patterns. And they'd be going along, and so they'd get closer and closer, and they'd be going along down through these, everybody's got this, the floor, ocean floor mapped, and they'd be going along this, and they kind of figured out what he's going to do. And they're one, and then at the, the most unexpected moment, this guy does something completely unpredicted, does some maneuver that's almost going to cause a boat collision, so then they have to take evasive maneuvers. And they called it a crazy Ivan. And I just happen to love that term because it, it means somebody doing something so crazy and devastating, you can't figure out what's going on, but it doesn't happen very often. In politics today in the United States, what we see is we see these people that we think of as conservative icons, and they painted DeSantis as one of them. Um, my governor in Iowa is one of them. Um, you know, Ted, the Ted Cruz's, the Rand Paul's, and I'm not casting aspersions on their ultimate goodness or evil. I'm just saying we paint them as having this, that they're who they say they are and they're conservatives. And they 95% of the time they vote the way we would expect them to. But 5% of the time they do a crazy Ivan. Like my governor who claims to be pro-life just put a big Planned Parenthood guy in charge of the medical board. 
Are you kidding me? That's a crazy Ivan. And so what? why is this happening? Well, I'll tell you why. Because everybody there that's been there for any period of time has either been, they're either being blackmailed because they can be bought, or they're part of the satanic cabal that runs this show, or they, uh, they're being threatened, or their families are being threatened. And so they have to do something. And so we don't pay attention. We, we always give them a pass on that 5%. And the reason is because we think, well, but look at all the good they did. You know, like Grassley and my senators, my two senators, just conservative Republican senators just voted against the Second Amendment uh, bill. What? You know, because we always say, well, but look at what they did and look at what they did. And then they, you know, they always vote for things that, that bribe, bribe your constituents and stuff. But the point is that that's the problem. That is the crazy Ivan. And we have to understand why that's happening. It's happening because absolutely everyone is under this umbrella. And until we break down the umbrella, which I think is happening I think it's starting to happen. I see us winning. I have, I keep on my phone just so I don't go completely, you know, nuts. I have the list of signs and symptoms of winning. And, and that's and one of them is certain things are coming are happening we never saw before. And I have so that's my that's my kind of feeding into what you guys were saying it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um <clears throat> Lee the the crazy Ivans that and you, you know your your point is well taken. Uh, if you look at uh, the cr crazy Ivans that we've been through, look at how we've been led down this path, how much our government has changed over the last 50 years. Yeah, you I know, mean, like it isn't even remotely what was originally there. And uh, they've done it by doing all these little crazy Ivans, and that's what I refer to as the establishment, because the establishment is part of this, and there's very few that are outside of the establishment, and usually if they are, they don't stand, uh, they don't stay very long, because they don't get reelected, they get assassinated, they get, uh, they smear them to get them out of office, they do whatever they have to, to get them out. Now, the perfect example of a crazy Ivan right now, and it's the craziest Ivan I've ever seen, is what they're doing now with Trump, uh, with uh, the Justice Department. Because who would have ever dreamed in a million years that they could do the kind of things that they're doing right now with the FBI, the Justice Department, NSA, I mean, and here we are as Americans standing here with our mouth open and nothing is happening. We've got to make this count. Okay. Right, we have to. And I, and I will say that may not as be as bad as you think because what they've done is now they've allowed him disclosure. I mean, you, you're here. I mean, obviously now everything can get into the court in the open. You have, this, is, this to me looks a lot like just using their, you know, Babylonian word magic against them. That's this is what the courts are essentially, and uh, now once we're in the once he's in the court, he can now subpoena and bring in the official records. He can show the cybersecurity guys, the Leonardo satellite, all the stuff that was that proved that the steal, and in a public courtroom that everybody will be watching. I honestly think it's brilliant, but we'll see. Well, I do too, in a way. But then Lee, on the other hand, you look at the courts that are going to be dealing with this, and they're so stacked. Uh, in opposition to Trump, I'm not sure that a lot of this information is going to be allowed. And well, that's, well, that's the problem. so that's what we're going to look for. I mean, that's going to be to know whether we're winning or not. That's one of the things we got to watch. 
I, I guess that's what I'll say. I don't know how that's going to go, but at least I don't think, you know, on the face of it, I think it may not be as bad as we think. We'll just have to see how it plays out. You know, I, all these little political turns and machinations, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not wasting my emotional energy getting involved in too much. I'm trying to figure out the big picture. So, yeah. 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 Well, you do a you know, better because... job than uh, just about anybody. So let's, let's go with that. And uh, uh, let's talk about the history of globalism. Let's talk about some of the things that, uh, that led us to the point we're at, because Ricky was referring to how we've slid over the last uh, 50, 60, 70 years, but it's been going on for millennia. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You know, you can take it back to probably Babylon at least, but but let's, but the, the point that he was bringing up about 50 to 60 years, what does that, what's that go along with? It goes along with the end, the so-called end of World War II. And I'll just make this point that you know, when you look at the surrender agreements of the Japanese, the emperor surrendered, the people surrendered, and the Japanese military surrendered. There was nobody left, okay, to not surrender. In Nazi Germany, the Wehrmacht surrendered, the people surrendered, maybe, but the but the Nazi party never surrendered. Important mm -hmm. point. And if, you know, there's a lot of uh, PSYOP going on I mean, if you you can't always tell the information they're telling you, it's probably mostly nonsense. But what you do is you watch. In my opinion, this is kind of like how they they watch for fissionable material being transported along a road. You don't look for radiation signature. You look for a negative because they've got it shielded. So look at look at these these gamma flux meters, and you say, oh, there's a big hole moving along Highway 80. That's somebody shielding something. We got to <laughs> stop them. Okay, look at what they're trying to hide. Okay. And um, one of them, for example, is Project Paperclip. In Project Paperclip, when you look up Wikipedia or absolutely any uh, book on or, or news on this, what does it show you? The same picture. Werner von Braun, they, they got him out of his SS uniform, and now he's in a nice, you know, so, you know, very fashionable suit of the day. And he's got to stand there with his arms crossed, and all these engineers are behind him. And it so they know, by the way, that, Images are much more powerful than words. So anytime you see the word Project Paperclip, you focus on you. You remember that image; it's burned into our brains like a mind parasite, right? And what it's telling us, the secret message or the unwritten message it's telling us is Project Paperclip was about rocket scientists to make NASA. Well, it turns out that wasn't the prime target. When they sent people over to Europe to pick up people, they were looking for chemists and particularly vaccine chemists. Okay. Exactly. Um, another another bit. This this gets a little. Um, people people want to take offense at this. They can, but this is just the facts. Um, what was Auschwitz really? Okay. We hear it's a death camp. We hear it was on. Now here's just some questions. If you're if you're if you're at war and you're running out of manpower, do you murder a bunch of people that could be used as slave labor? No, of right. course not. Right. So there was something going on at, at Auschwitz. They used twenty-five thousand uh, of these. I don't I'm not giving an apology for the for the camps. They a lot of people died as a result. The issue is what was really going on. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, there's no you know, uh, and we can talk about Mengele too. What was really going on? Well, you know the so in this camp, the theoretically, and I, I may have some of the exact numbers wrong because it's been a long time since I thought about this. But if you really look at the evidence of Auschwitz. 
They use thousands of, like, I think it was something like a huge plant. It's a huge thing they built. It took 25,000 laborers to build this, this place. Now, what were they just building barracks and, and gas chambers? No, that doesn't take 25,000 laborers. They had a huge facility going, and their head chemist was the IG Farben's chief chemist, Otto Ambrose. This is the guy that Sarin, the A in Sarin gas, is named for Ambrose. I mean, this is a big dude, okay? And he's out there theoretically measuring and preparing and working for a Buna plant. The Buna plant was the synthetic rubber idea. And it, see, all this makes sense. They never mm -hmm. tell you a story that doesn't make perfect sense and you swallow it whole, right? So the, the, the story goes that they were they were running out of natural resources that, you know, at the end of the war. And so they had to come up with a way of making synthetic oil and we got mobile one out of it. So, you know, there's some good things, I guess. So they got they had synthetic oil. Now they're going to make synthetic tires. This plant used twice the electricity of Berlin, like on a daily basis. Mm. I mean, this thing was sucking up electricity like nobody's business. You don't need that to make tires. You don't need it to run a death camp. What's going on there? Okay. So there's, and, and at the end of the war, here's the fact, not one synthetic rubber tire was made in Auschwitz. The mm -hmm. Buna plant did not produce rubber tires. So I personally, this is no, I, that's the, that's the facts. What do we make of that? Well, they were doing something else. Well, and I will just say, there, there are two things that I can come up with right off the top of my head that take enormous amounts of electricity, lots of talented chemists, and uh, a big labor force, and that is a nuclear program. Or it's a it's a it's a it's like the the it's part of the Brotherhood of the Bell, which was the underground Kammlerstab in that was essentially what is now in the Czech Republic. And it was, and they had, they found when they found that after the war, it had these incredible electronic cables, electrical cables rather, go, huge cables going into these caverns. And what were they doing there? It appears that they were doing uh, anti gravity uh, aircraft. That was one of the big things. That so I'm just saying, there's a lot of stuff from World War II that we don't understand. But what seems to have happened, the other, not as not the smallest one, is that. Um, the idea that Hitler died in the bunker. There's so much evidence that that was a false, that that was a, that was a cover up too. We have the, we have the, we have eyewitnesses of him getting, he and Ava Brown getting on planes. We have the name of the pilot that took them to Denmark. We have the fact that the skull they claim was his, was actually a female skull, the one the Russians had. Uh, we, th there's a, there's a book called gray. I think it's called gray wolf. And these, these are two investigators that went over and they just really ran this dog down and they point out again, who's involved. It's like somebody once said, there was an army colonel. I can't remember his name. I'm talking about assassinations. He said, you don't have to really investigate who did the assassination assassinations to happen. They, it's who covered it up or who allowed oh. it to happen. Well, in this case, who covered this whole thing up? Well, one of the things the British did was they sent Hugh Trevor Roper over to England. He was a historic, he was not a, who would you send to check to see that somebody's dead? I'd send a homicide detective. I'd send, you know, uh, the Scotland Yard guys, but they sent a historian that was known for just being able to make up shit. Excuse my, <laughs> he, just, he was known as a guy who, when he couldn't find the facts and stuff, he'd just fill in the blanks with what his own ideas were. Worked great for this. Okay, so you have a cover up of the death of Hitler. We have technology the Germans had that nobody today keeps talking about, like these long range submarines. We know that the Navy. Made, spent a huge amount of money trying to retrieve one of these things, these long-range mm -hmm. submarines. 
they had engines that powered these that we didn't understand and probably still don't. I don't know. Um, and they moved their goal to South America. We have, for example, a, uh, a, a, a Martin Borman signature on a bank statement in the FBI vault with uh, uh, Juan Perón. I mean, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and as people are getting old and they're dying off on their deathbeds, they're speaking and they're talking about Bariloche in South America, where they called it Hitler's Gulch. Before the end of the war, 65,000 German expatriates lived there. And this is apparently where he went afterwards. He had mm-hmm. he and Ava Brown. They had two daughters. They, they, know, they have pictures of all this. Right. Like, and, the, and the weirdest part of this whole thing <laughs> is that the story is that Angela Merkel is one of those daughters, is one of the granddaughters there. I mean, really? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, look around the world. I mean, again, again, this isn't what I'm talking about at Redfield per se, but it feeds into the whole point, is that the world that we have today has been crafted for us. It's been painted for us to cover up the real world. And they put people... I am convinced, you know, Justin Castro is only the the one that was so obvious they couldn't ignore it. But there are people all over the world that are bred for their positions. Mm-hmm. They're what we know, and I am talking about this a little bit. This is a bloodline that we're we're fighting, and this bloodline. One of the ways you keep secrets in a big conspiracy, worldwide conspiracy, is you keep it in the family, and the, right. and the way that the the that the people practicing the old religion even keep secrets in their family as they torture children from the time they're born till they're about six years old and split them with the MK ultra mind control type techniques. And that way they can keep secrets. That's what this is about. And that's why this, we, this is why it's been so hard for any of this to come out. You know, so one of the things that I, I just, I was just speaking at the uh, American frontline doctors, uh, white coat summit. And, um, I almost took out Robert Malone. He was speaking and he was supposed to speak two minutes. Um, and he, uh, which, you know, might've been a good thing, but anyway, I, I don't want to digress. He was speaking <laughs> and I was uh, right behind him and it must've been a hundred degrees. He was supposed to peak for two minutes. And when he got to about 15 minutes, I wanted to tackle him. It was horrible. But in any case, I gave a, a they asked me to give a history talk and this. And I talked about the ethical history that came out of Germany because what we had happened to us in COVID today, not only, you know, we can talk about Mengele, but not only did we inherit uh, the German pharmaceutical industry and the chemical industry and the war against us, we inherited the ethics that brought this about. And, you know, um, in, in medicine used to be, uh, even in Germany, it was a doctor and a patient. It was very ethical. You know, but in 1871, the um, the Kaiser's throne was being threatened, and so the his his people said. And 1871 is an interesting date. You know, when you think when you know about the other stories that, that we know about about mm-hmm. DC going bankrupt and everything, so the world changed in 1871 in ways I don't really completely understand. But at least in medicine, what happened was that the Kaiser was advised to give the people universal health care, give them something so they're beholden to the crown and then you'll have them forever. And he did that and it worked out, saved the crown. So Kaiser Wilhelm stayed on the throne for a number of years. And and the, the medical system actually worked pretty well because it took at first, because socialism always works at first, it went out mm-hmm. into the hinterland and it gave people these little, little towns that never had a doctor. Suddenly they got doctors. Now, interestingly, what did they call those doctors? They called them vaccine doctors. 
because they were starting to vaccinate back then. And that's when they never had vaccination out in the hinterland of Germany. But now we got these doctors. Well, I might as well. They're telling me I should get these these shots. OK, mm -hmm. so that's how that whole thing started. Well, what happened, though, as typically happens in socialism, they ran out of other people's money. So as we get into the 20th century in 1929, roughly when the when the it was going on before that, but when the stock the stock market collapsed and everything fell apart, um, the whole system lost money to actually practice medicine, but the 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 regulations and everything was still in in force. Okay, so now you had a situation as we as they always want to make you think that there's too many people and too little resources to do things, and now we have to do some kind of rationing. Well, there was a there was a a psychiatrist named Alfred Hoche. And Alfred Hoche and his legal, his lawyer friend, they wrote a book. And uh, the name of the book is something like Permission, uh, what's it called? Permission for the Destruction of Life Unworthy of Life. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is a philosophy that came from Plato to Kant to Hegel. And it's the idea that we can judge your life's worth on a utilitarian basis, that some people have more worth than others, and that we're just going to, you know, kill some people in order to save others. Now, there, there is a point of military triage. Okay, when you're in, when you're in a situation and you're in the emergency room and there's a mass casualty event, it's true. You have to, you have to prioritize. You can't save everybody, but that's not what you do normally. Okay, this was they made this decision without being pressured to do so on the basis that they just thought these people were sucking off the government funds, and we didn't like that. Okay, mm -hmm. it's not the government's business to give us funds and then worry about killing us so that they have enough to give. They're not giving us anything. They're taking our money and giving it back to us and then killing some of us. That's essentially it. Well, the medical ethics of the German Reich came from that. It came from the idea that we have to we we have to prioritize. And so you had the you had that's what the euthanasia programs, there were several euthanasia programs that were kind of running in parallel. And the idea was that they knew, by the way, they knew this whole thing with Alfred Hoche. They 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 anticipated that that the local doctors wouldn't be willing to euthanize their own patients or their or even authorize the people that they knew personally. I mean, you know, if if I went to a Medicare person right now that was a Medicare uh, authorizer, and I said, and I in person showed up and said, I'm going to die unless I have this implant in my heart. And they say, no, we don't think you're worth it. Do you think these these little pogue-like people in D.C. could actually look you in the eye and say that? No. They have to depersonalize the system. You know, the, the, the camps, they had numbers. We have the Medicare number, your Social Security number. So what they so what they so what they did was they they would have they had a government body of doctors, lawyers and psychiatrists somewhere. And and this is what he wrote in the twenties, but it became true during the the pre-war, the the early war. So uh, they would they would have the committee, say in Berlin, and then they would judge. They would have their local doctors send up a certain number of charts from their their locale, and they would send these charts up. And then these people at the Berlin would would judge the patients based on their economic value to society and applying the the cost benefit criteria. And then a third party would be called in. These are the, the murderous thugs, I guess. You get called in to go down and actually pick the people up and murder them. Sorry, euthanize them. That's the nice word for, for, for government-run murder programs. So that's what they did. 
That's how this whole, and that was the ethics. And it's an ethic that came to the Germans from Plato to Kant to Hegel. It was a German philosopher that brought them this thing. And and Carl Brandt, the reason I even got really interested in this, I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon. Carl Brandt, who was a, he was a good guy as far as I can determine. And I, he was an orthopedic spine and trauma surgeon. It's like, wow, how did he end up at the gallows in Nuremberg? And this is mm -hmm. how, because he was willing to sign these, he was Hitler's chief medical officer by the end of the war. And he was, he was willing to sign off on this stuff because he believed that when the health of the nation is at risk, the health of the individual doesn't matter. Now, let's let's look at what that I mean, the point I'm making is very important for today. Because, mm -hmm. you know, they say there's a there's a there's a, a Latin maxim, principius obsta finum respice, and it means consider the beginnings, or I mean, or something about resist the beginnings, consider the end. Okay, that, that you don't have to you don't have to get rid of evil. You don't have to fight against evil once evil is recognized as evil. What people don't recognize is the early stages. Now, we had a Hippocratic oath in medicine that, that told us certain things. And one of the prime things that they told us was when you, and I remember in 1980 thinking, why would he need this in the Hippocratic oath? Because who else would we take care of? But it said, when I enter the house of the patient, I will do so only for the good of the patient. Well, uh, I thought, who else would we be going there for? Now I know it might be because the government wants to kill you rather than pay out money on their on their uh, their their economic plan. It might be your wife wants to kill you and gets the um, and and you're intubated and she wants it pulled out, so she goes to the ethics committee at the hospital and gets gets you terminated, even though you wanted something else and have written such. You know, I've seen that kind of stuff happen. Mm -hmm. So so. It's a process of slowly adopting unethical principles. Now, in, it's interesting that in 2024, um, the University of, if you look at the Hippocratic, and, and at the Hippocratic Oath, very interestingly also says, uh, I will, I will not, um, uh, I will not give a poison, and I will not um, uh, let anybody convince me to give a poison to anybody. In other words, why would why would Hippocrates have that in the oath? It's because it was happening. They know, they've known since time immemorial that doctors are the best positioned people to kill people with poisons. Mm -hmm. We know about we know about pharmakeia, which is, means sorcery actually in the Greek. But we know about pharmacy. We know about poisoning, like we know about medicines, and it's just the flip side of the same coin. And so he knew that was an issue, and so it's in the oath not to do this. Well. The, now we have medical students writing their own oath, and in, and and um, this is I'll I'll actually quote you this. Uh, this is from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, class of twenty four. This is their oath, wow. uh, twenty three. I'm sorry, I had I had twenty four. Um, they acknowledge the privilege and responsibility of becoming a physician, but they you know now first of all, what does a medical student know? You're not out. You've never practiced medicine, but you're going to write mm -hmm. your own oath. It said. I take this oath as a call to action to fulfill my duty to patients, to the medical profession, and to society. Mm -hmm. In other words, that is the utilitarian ethic right there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, when it comes, when it, I have to choose, you know, those those three things are not necessarily in combination. They're not always together. What if your society wants to kill people? Are mm -hmm. you gonna Are you gonna honor the society and and become a, a murderer for the, the common good? Murderer? 
Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what, so we need a new, uh, I've suggested a while ago, it didn't get any traction, but I think we need to have a new term called iatricide. That is mass murder by physicians. You know, we know that there's iatrogenic error based death. The, the knife slips or you get the wrong medicine or something, but we don't really have a term that defines murder by <laughs> the whole group and mm -hmm. uh, a group sponsored medical murder, but yatricide fits the bill. So that's where we are. And that's, that's the history of, and I think a lot of this has come to us through the post-world, per Ricky's point, the post-World War II German experience. They came, they didn't mm -hmm. lose the war. They just reorganized under us. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are still fighting. And Nazism, the question is where Nazism came from. You know, not, the, not only is the symbol ancient, it's a symbol of energy. It's an ancient symbol of religion and energy around the world from BC. Um, but the uh, the term, the name, gives us a clue to an area in the world that had names like that. Okay, mm -hmm. so that I am going to kind of talk about <laughs> at the Red Bill. Wow. Well, that's that. Uh, you know, you go back to that and see. I've really learned a lot in the last two or three years about. Uh, that, that through the MK Ultra program, and and you're right. I mean, it was the chemicals, it was the medical part that they were really trying to bring over here, and that's what the CIA imported. Right. And and in fact, they went over to Switzerland with a with a whole brief uh, briefcase full of cash to buy all the LSD that the Germans had produced uh, through a Swiss company. Uh, and we're using for experiments in the death camps. Right, right, right. So, and so so that is one of the, the other thing about the camps, I'm going to say, I'm not, so again, do not in any way, I don't want anybody to think I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an apologist for the death camps, but they really were work camps. Right. Side, they, they had two versions. They, they were working people, they worked people to death, no question about that. But they also... Um, we're experimenting on humans, and you're right. The MK Ultra. We always hear these weird. Uh, we we hear quite frankly, and then I'll tell you. There's another again how they they cover up these things by telling you part of the truth, but not the, but obscuring the part that they don't want you to hear about. Okay, what they've told us about the experiments, actually, um, if you look at them, they were doing the same experiments we were. We were experimenting like Dr. Ivy from Harvard, who went over and was part of the prosecution against the Nuremberg doctors, was actually doing malaria experiments on prisoners in America that were using a worse form of malaria than the guy, and I can't remember his name, the German doctor that was experimenting on death camp uh, prisoners. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was a, under for the same reason, because you had soldiers in malaria areas and you were trying to figure out how to, how to, how to treat this, but they were, it's, it's unethical to do things under duress. And so when you're experimenting, you cannot do prisoner studies, period. It, it, prisoners are by definition under duress. They are not free mm -hmm. agents. And to get them to even say they're going to volunteer, that's not right. You should never do that. And so we had, when we wrote the Nuremberg Code during the trial of the German doctors, it wasn't before. We didn't have a code like that before. We were doing the same thing and in some cases worse things. Word. So that part, like we were doing the cold water experiments, we were doing a bunch of stuff, okay? And it didn't always get documented. We actually took, I mean, in surgery, I studied some of the, uh, outcomes uh, we used and learned 
the principles that they learned in these camps on some of this stuff, like like Langer's lines. It was how how to make incisions in the body so that you didn't leave gaping wounds, okay, or scars. So things healed without 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 tension. So you know uh, they can say all they want. A lot of this stuff was being done over here too. So here's the point, though. You MK Ultra, you hit it. I don't think Mengele died. I, I don't think Mengele escaped to, to, to South America without help and without our help. And I don't think he was spending all his time in South America. The, the, the apparently one of the big centers for MK Ultra after the war was a, it was one of our universities. I probably won't name it because I don't want to get sued by them. But I don't know because I can't prove this completely. But this is what you know. I know which university I'm I'm thinking of, and it plays a role in modern history of judicial history today. But in any case. Um, people have, they, they remember a Dr. Green, I think was his name, but they remember somebody that just is described as Mengele. And, and what Mengele was really doing, I used to think Mengele must be the bottom of his medical school class. Turns out, no. He oh, was, he's brilliant. He, he was the top of his medical school class. This, that nightmare was brought by the university boys, not by your family doctor. Okay. So let's just be clear. Look at COVID. It wasn't brought by your family doctor either. Okay, this so the, all of the medical profession is not necessarily evil, but it's crept into the organized teaching of medicine and professional medical schools. And um, so what what apparently uh, he was doing in the, in the in the camps, he was torturing children and doing this this brain splitting uh, mental kind of stuff because that's what had been used. He was he was scientifically approaching what these families had done for thousands of years to hide their secret religion. Okay. So the, the religion of Moloch, the sacrifice of children used to be in the open that, that Palmyra gate that, that, that is in New York city. Now it's a, it's a full size replica of the arch of Bahal or Moloch, same, same, same in, uh, in New York City is a full-size replica of the Arch of Bahal in Palmyra, the old in Syria, ancient Syria, 300, 400 BC. And then in those days, the worship of Moloch was open. It was a pagan ritual where people could go, that was one way in, one way out. You went under the arch, you sacrificed your child, and for the benefit on this earth, you would you would do these human sacrifices and you got some theoretical, you know, probably power and money benefit. And then you came back out through the arch. That's the way you had to do it. Now, that arch is going up all over the world. And we have one in New York City. And you have to wonder. Rabbi Khan uh, tried to out that and wrote several books about this, about Harbinger, you know, about this whole thing. So uh, Jonathan Khan, I think is his name. He, uh, But anyway, so in those days, it was open. But when Christianity took off and, and became the predominant religion, they, they, they couldn't worship openly. But they did it, and they had to. They had to keep their kids quiet because it was a death sentence. Apparently, if you were worshiping Moloch in those in that situation, so the way they figured out how to keep their kids quiet by doing this sexual torture on them from the time they're in the crib until they're about six years old, and it and it could split their psyche in such a way that they could be like two people: the people they are outside the house and the people they are inside the house. That was the satanic ritual abuse. It still goes on in households in America today and all over the world. Again, they don't call it Satanism, they call it the old religion, but whatever, it doesn't matter. And they use a lot of different names to confuse us. But what happened is that, that Mangala took the idea of that and figured out how to do it scientifically. That's why in this country, we don't call it MC Ultra, that would be control, right? We call it MK Ultra, control, because it's German.
Mm-hmm. And my Absolutely. university was involved. The University of Rochester got involved. They, they got caught having been paid by the CIA to do this research in the psychiatry department. What does that mean? I mean, this was, this was when I was a medical student there wow. in, the, in, the, in the 80s or in the 70s. Um, I mean, it's like, were they torturing children in the basement of, of Strong Memorial Hospital? I just don't know. I don't know what that means. I hope not. I never had any clue that that was going on, but they had to admit it at one point. It was in the newspaper and they had to apologize and blah, blah, blah. But it went, it passed over real quick, you know, boom, mm-hmm. out of the news cycle. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, um, and, and of course, we, we know about the, because we know someone who went through the program, and that's uh, Juliet Engel, and she's a medical doctor as well. And uh, Juliet was, um, put through that program, she says, and I don't doubt her a bit, she says that most of the top leaders in our government, she believes, are survivors of MK Ultra. that they were put through the program. They're the Manchurian candidates who yeah, can be I, controlled. I absolutely 100% agree with them, and that's what my point is, that these people, it's it's a breeding program, Okay. Mm-hmm. Look at and uh, the prime example here is who who is the poster child of this is William Jefferson Clinton. Mm-hmm. He's not a Clinton. He's a Rockefeller. His father was Winifred Rockefeller. That's become acknowledged. And his but he was his mother was not married to Rockefeller because they'd make these illegitimate children, and then those children are watched. They're funded. They're given different last names, and if they. If they prove promising, then they're big. Their more money's pushed at them, so they can get a good education. And then, if they pass through, then they really see promise. Um, the the political guys, the guys that are going to be in the politics side of it. Now, some people go into the scientific side of it. Um, I think we see that too. But some people go into the um, Hollywood side of it, and some people go into the political side of it. The political side, the traditional thing they did, and I learned this from Matt Brackett, former Navy SEAL officer who was a Russian uh, or international studies major, but but spoke Russian, was a Russian guy, and, and that's how we got talking about this. He said that, and I didn't know this, he said that the, the Rhodes Scholarship was a vetting program. So Cecil Rhodes was a big mm-hmm. part of this cabal, right? Huge. Yeah. yeah. And and so they would go to England and Oxford and they would be this part of this Rhodes scholarship. And then if then if they were selected out from them. So this is a, this, we're talking about a high, highly selected process of family bloodline members that they're lesser members. They're not the top bloodline. They're the bottom bloodline. But they they go and they and they select these people out. And then they would send them if they're if they're finalists in the competition. This is kind of like you know Jeopardy. You know, you get to the final round. When they get to the final round, they would ship them over in those days to the Soviet Union, and they would stay for two weeks in the Hotel Rossi in Moscow. And um, they would then uh, be be compromised. And of course, the, you know the, the the you know the, no, don't worry, comrade. We not we don't need anything now, but we might need something in the future. You know that's the mm-hmm. kind of thing it was about. So that's what was been going on. And now the new vetting pro- process is the WEF. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's interesting. Again, it's another sign of winning. The WEF didn't really have a good turnout this year. You know mm-hmm. they're kind of falling apart. That's a good sign. But there is one guy who's double boarded in this whole thing, who is both a Rhodes Scholar and a Weffer. Guess who? Buttigieg. <laughs> oh really? No, yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, God, you can't make this up. No. 
All right. Well, now, Lee, let's, uh, I, I know that this is something, this bloodline has carried through, but I'd like to start uh, a little bit uh, early in the bloodline, kind of explaining how this whole thing started. And I know it's very controversial. Uh, certainly, uh, it's something that uh, a lot of people try to make fun of, but the fact is, is that this goes back thousands of years right. and this bloodline where did it originally start let's get with that's, that that's the really interesting question and this is where we have to suspend our beliefs about the world we have to just put them on hold for a minute and say how does this fit in with what we also believe and what of it what what goes together and what do we have to discard i think that's the way we have to look at it right. now I'm just going to make this, and this is where I say in the talk that I'm going to give, I'm going to make this disclaimer. If this is not about your nationality, your religion, when I'm talking about the common, I, I, I will I will say it might be about the worship of Moloch, but it's not about the, the, the common big religions that we people are involved with today. It is not about your, um, your, you know, your race, religion, your nationality. It's, 99 plus percent of the people on the world here, regardless of all those things, are victims, not perpetrators. Right. So what we're looking at is a very small group of people that have very carefully kept their bloodline pure over millennia. That's what this appears to be. This goes with what I was saying about the presidents, okay? You and I, I mean, I jokingly say I met the, the, the father of my children I met in a bar. It was in a military bar, but nonetheless, I met in a bar. <laughs> Uh, you know, they don't do that. Okay. They go through this very big process and they, 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 this is what Burke's peerage is all about. They, they go through this whole thing and they try and figure out who's who before the age of DNA testing, they, you know, they had to be very careful who they married. Look at King Charles when he was Prince Charles and was dating Diana and they decided that that's the girl for her. How did they decide that? Well, she had about three months of medical testing. And I thought, you know, what is going on here? You know, what is all this about that she has to go through all this testing, all this kind of stuff going on? Well, she said later uh, to her friends, according to David Icke, that she was she was just their brood cow. That's probably true. What they do is what these families do is they look for the bloodline to keep whatever they think. Cliff High says he believes this is a dongle. He calls it because he's a computer guy and he speaks in, in computer language that they believe that this group of people believe they have a dongle on their DNA that makes them special, that they were they were they were brought here by these aliens and the aliens are going to come back and they're supposed to have the world under control. That's what he says. And, mm -hmm. I, and there's some there's some evidence for that. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So. so you know, I think personally, when you look at this, there's three. There, and again, I I put the dots together in the best way I could, looking at the evidence that's out there. And the evidence comes from three sources that I'm using. And one of them is, you know, you say, how can it be from one person? But it's a very it's one person that just happened to say something. OK, so so the first line is out of old Samaria. If you look at Samaria, Samaria just appeared. There's, you know, that is Sumerian culture was 5,000 years before the pharaohs. Okay. This is a, this is the first real culture recorded on earth. And it had mathematics, including calculus that we didn't discover until Sir Isaac Newton and Leibniz in what, 14 something, 15, early 1500s. 15, yeah. So yeah, 1500s. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, 
So what's up with that? They had they had cities, they had technology, they had astronomy, they understood a lot of different things. Okay, but whatever we, however you want to explain that, that culture dissolved into the Babylonian culture, and everything in the world today that we see seems to come from this Babylonian culture. We have the Babylonian legal system, essentially, that they developed. We have the Babylonian concept of word magic, of what the what Aristophanes called um, uh, hair-splitting wordsmiths, i.e., lawyers. Okay, mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the admiralty law that we are talking about now as being under in our courts. That is that can be traced back to Babylon, and we have the Babylonian money magic. They called it that. It was it was, it was a way of 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 taking the, the the fruits of the labor of other people and multiplying right. it. Okay. Right. So a lot of things lead back to Babylon. So I think that's one one area. Another another factor is our symbolism and our language. And it it goes along with a lot of uh, it, it brings us into a lot of issues too, including you know all this issue about reptilians. And I, I asked Cliff High one time, I said, where do because he was talking about it. he doesn't believe in, in aliens being from off planet, but whatever whatever you believe anyway. I just I just said to him he'd been talking about going to hyperspace and using shamanic doses of mushrooms and seeing the truth and stuff. <laughs> and he's not the only one that's done this, by the way. I, I think that, that he's got a lot. Of, I, I really trust Cliff High has a lot of good information that's true. Mm-hmm. But but I said to him in this conversation it was wide reaching reaching you can see it on rumble i said okay cliff do reptilians show up here somewhere <laughs> but and we can laugh about that okay when 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 david ike first started talking about reptilian aliens everybody you know again they really went after him he could say all sorts of other things but as soon as he started talking about they they really yep. went after but but let's look at the let's look at the architecture the symbology everything why do we have all this reptilian stuff, beginning with the serpent in the garden? If anybody should believe in aliens, it probably should be Christians, because Christians have accepted that the serpent led us astray, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is there is biblical stuff and there's historical stuff. We have all this old statuary, including these these old Mayan, and, and I think they're Mayan stuff that show these reptilian mothers yeah. nursing babies. Okay, it's cre- it's creepy stuff. But anyway, so there's all that to think. And, and look at our language. When we have a punishment that is so over the top that it's it's really evil. It's not it's not that everybody recognizes it's too much. You know, uh, the idea. And it came from this old law in in uh, where was it? It was um, I want to say it was Greece. It was the first Greek laws in maybe, uh, but I can't remember exactly. I think it was. And it was if you stole a loaf of bread, for example, it was a death penalty. And they called the and the law was named after it was called draconian. Mm-hmm. Okay, Draco. The 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 king described it was King Draco. And we have the planet Draco, the Draco constellation that they claim these reptilians come from. But Draco means dragon. In mm-hmm. uh, and and we talk about this all the time. Vlad Dracul. Uh, the father of Dracula. It's Draco. Mm-hmm. It's the name, and it's the he had the, that whole area was involved. Multiple kingdoms in the order of the dragon. We've got the dragon societies in China. We've got all these gargoyles all over our mm-hmm. our thing. Why do we have on the symbol of medicine? Well, to begin with, we Perfect. have the staff of Asclepius with the one serpent. Right. What mm-hmm. do we have now? 
we have the caduceus, which is kind of becoming the predominant symbol. And it's the it's still the staff, it's still the rod, but it's got now these wings on it. And the wings are of the cockatrix bird that's a reptilian bird. It's half reptile, half bird. And it's a it's a it's a it's a bird that can kill you with its glance or spitting on you. Mm. Why would you wow. have that as a symbol of medicine? <laughs> so I don't know. I, that part, I don't know how to fit in here. I'm just going to say. So I'm just going to stick with the human aspect of it. That, that the humanity seems to have come out of Sumer to Babylon. And we have a lot of Babylonian symbology and language and habits that we've adopted. Okay, now, Jay Parker, who was a satanic ritual abuser, or abuse, not an abuser, a, abuse survivor, um, he said, and he grew up in a very big he, a, a town in Delaware that he claims, Arden, Delaware, he claims was uh, 80% or 90% Satanist. And he said, we don't call it that. We call it the old religion. But it's the, these people that worship the old religion, sacrifice children, all this stuff. Mm. And that 90% of them were those, even though the town was filled with churches. And there were 10% of Christians there kind of for plausible deniability. But what he said is that, they do this whole child torture thing. And then at some point they decide whether to kill the child, let them go or make them part of the cult member, make them part of this religion. So he was one of the people that ended up being let go only because they realized they couldn't kill him. That's a good story. You should, everybody should watch his video. It's, it's wow. with Mark, Mark Passio, Mark Passio and Jay Parker on, on generational satanic ritual abuse. It, it'll, it'll change your thinking about the world. But anyway, he just, this is just in that video, he made this comment that just stuck in the back of my mind. I didn't do anything with it for years until all this other stuff starts coming out. And then I suddenly went back and listened to it and said, who did he say? He said that his mother was, his mother used to tell him the story of their family. And his mother said that they keep, she came from a long line of female witches because this is bloodline is passed through the female chromosome. That's what they need to keep together. She mm. said, we come, I come from a long line. And she was apparently very powerful uh, figure in this whole thing. She came from a long line of witches that were the, were the Amalekites. Now in the Bible, in the old Testament, the Amalekites were in the negative and they were the first people to attack the Israelites as they left Egypt, as they, they mm -hmm. got out from under the Pharaoh, the Israel, Israelites were fleeing and they get attacked by the Amalekites. The Amalekites are the people that King Saul said he was to murder down to their sheep, to leave none of them alive because it was abject evil and they needed to rid the world of Amalekites. And God says in Exodus, I can't remember, the, but in the Bible it says, God is at war with Amalek forever. Mm. Now, in um, Jewish, uh, in the Shabbat.org, they talk about this, and they talk about the fact that the problem happened, that this was the commandment that God gave them, was to murder the Amalekites and not let them escape. But as they let some people, King Saul didn't follow the commandment, and he let these families escape. And she talks about it. She said, we were some of the people that got away with our wagons of stuff, and we went to Phrygia. So I started looking at this stuff. In, mm. So I started looking at Phrygia. Where's Phrygia? Well, it's in what is modern day Turkey, but it was at the time Anatolia. It was a section. Now the Phrygian, interestingly, the Phrygian cap is the cap that they wore in the French Revolution. And it's like that pink cap that they wore at that 
what was it called? The uh, where all the women were protesting in D.C. and they had these pink caps. The, yeah, yeah. The pussy, pussy caps. Pussy caps. Yeah. Yeah, something. Anyway, mm -hmm. so that's the Phrygian cap. That's where it comes from. Mm. It's kind of associated with kind of some bad stuff over the history. No anyway, kidding. what happened is they went to Phrygia. Now, here's now we get into the third line of evidence, which marries this all up, and that is this new genetic sequencing stuff. Now that we can sequence the human genome, we can look at alleles, especially, uh, and see where they travel. So it just was done where they, you know what, what I said about the, the there, this bloodline of presidents can trace, many of them can be traced back to the uh, pharaohs. I mean, George Bush's family through his mother, not through his father, through his mother can be traced back to the paranoid dynasty of Ramses. Wow. And, and so... It turns out they've now done genetic testing on some mummies and they've gotten enough DNA and they found out that that DNA is not really from anywhere near the current, it's not, not associated with the people that currently live in Egypt. It's associated with people in the area of what was once Anatolia. Mm -hmm. Okay, So mm. everything seems to come out of there. At some point there was a nexus of this area in Anatolia. Now here's where the RFK problem starts is that is that this bloodline, there were these little towns there in eastern that are in eastern Turkey, and some of them are still standing. But they're in the past, these towns were named things like Ashken, Kanats, Nazi, blah, 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 blah. And so there was a somewhat of a diaspora. This is just below the, the Black Sea. And this is on the southern border of the Black Sea. And if you look at the map, as you go around counterclockwise to about one or two o'clock on the map is Kazaria. So there was a kingdom already there of Kazaria. And then there are these people that apparently moved out of this, this maybe these Amalekites moved out of this, this area and moved into Kazaria. And these were smart, whatever the Amalekites were, and these Babylonians were like, it's all kind of probably, probably all the same. They, they, um, they're very smart and they are tough mm -hmm. warriors and, mm -hmm. and they're good with money. So they came into Kazaria and they, they're also what, what the, the, the Shabbat.org said, they are known as the doubters. They cast doubt on everything. You can't argue with this. It sounds familiar. They make everything confusing and they cast doubt on everything. So you can't really argue away any evil. Okay. You're mm -hmm. not going to argue with these people and win is what they're telling you. And so they moved into this area of Kazaria and they took over apparently the Royal house. And this is where, the story then goes from what was researched by Solzhenitsyn, and Solzhenitsyn then um, talked to Putin about this, about who the Bolsheviks were, what you know that that was an external. These were not Russians. They took Russian names. They, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that people, uh, you know, that that the the Bolsheviks always had these Russian-sounding names, but they were not Russians, and they were purposely changed their name to things like Jurjinsky uh, to, to, to make you sound Russian. Okay. So anyway, they, they came into uh, this, this area of Kazari, they took it over and they became such a pain in the ass to their neighbors that the neighbors said, we can't live with this anymore. The neighbors being the Prince of R the Rus, they were no longer, they didn't have the Tsar yet, but they had the Prince of the Rus. And this is around 900, 950 AD. They had the Prince of the Rus, they had the Bulgarian king, and they had the Emir of Persia. And those three got together and they, they beat back King Bulan and they said, we've had it with you. 
you have to, I think it was Bulan at that time, but we, you've had it, we've had it with you. You know, you're, you worship this terrible God and you are stealing these caravans along the Silk Road and we just can't put up with this stuff anymore, right? So you've got you to do something. Well, what they did was King Bulan, again, cast doubt, be, in, be, a, be, be weird, you know, make this very confusing. They said, okay, the story goes, they just didn't want to get in between the Christians and the Muslims. So they decided to become Judaics, but that's probably not the story. Okay. I'm just going to say they came up with this and they called themselves, they just, they, they made up the name Ashkenazi to describe mm -hmm. their version of Judaism. But keep in mind, these people weren't Jews. They weren't, that Jew wasn't even a term back then, but they were not right. practicing Torah Judaism. They were still, because the, they, this, this came out 200 years later, it was still going on. And this time when the Russian Prince Shatislav and, and um, the Persians and the Bulgarians got together, they said, this time we're gonna just murder these people. We cannot have them. They, they were taking on what, the, what God had told Saul to do. They, they said, we can't deal with this anymore. Okay, mm -hmm. so we have to fix this. But the king, and I see, and I can't re quite remember, I can't figure out where Bulan fits in there, but there was a King Bulan that's famous, and I think his name gets mixed up in times. But it's somebody, the king and the court got away. They, they took their gold, they took their, their top people, and they fled, and they fled into a diaspora across Europe. And they married, they, again, they had money, they had, they had smarts, and they had power, and they, they knew how to intercalate into other societies. And they 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 basically became the banking houses of Europe and the royal houses of Europe, mm -hmm. and 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 other subgroups. There and so the problem that RFK got into is this is a blood group, and this blood type has been now identified not not just them but the blood type that of the what was the um, uh, the 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 protection against the ACE2, the, there, was a, there was a blood type that was discovered that was protective against the uh, COVID. And it, it turns out it's the blood type that comes out of this area, but it's not really? the whole story, okay? Hmm. And the problem is that when they did this testing, they tested the groups that are classically tested. So for example, they tested, uh, you know, East Asians and they tested, um, uh, the Finnish, because they're a unique, unique group. They attested these the Eastern or Western Europeans and blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. they tested the Ashkenazi and the Amish. Okay, because they're easily defined groups that tend to do that tend to marry within their own group. So they mm -hmm. keep they, they they tend to have interesting bloodlines because they tend to keep it pretty tight. You know, for different reasons, but that's what happens. And so what they didn't do is they didn't measure the Druze. They didn't measure the banking houses of Europe. They didn't measure the king, the royal families. They didn't measure. You see, it isn't just the Ashkenazi and the Amish with this. There are other people that have this, but they didn't measure them because they're like, like I would, I'm going to bet you they know that there's some groups like this down in, in South America. The Incas and Mayans might have had it. They, you know, the, uh, there are different groups. Um, who are the people that have the RH negative blood type? The um, that are the sheep herders, the uh, the Basques. They might have it, but they didn't test it. You see, that's the problem. We don't know who all has this blood type. I got part of it. Like I say, the K26R is just part of this. It's the blood type that protected you against the COVID nonsense. And and like I got shed on, all I got was a bloody nose. 
Some people got deathly ill. I brought it home to my husband. He got deathly ill. <laughs> well, not deathly. He, I got him out of it, but he got sick, mm-hmm. really sick. But and this this is uh, again, I think Cliff High's right about this. He said the blood type only gets a bloody nose. It now it passes down through the female lineage. So here's the point: most of us, for most of the world, this female blood type, whatever it is, has been diluted out. Okay. The, this, this, the, the witches and these guys are the purebreds that have been kept tight until they got down to them. Okay, but most of us don't have that, me mm-hmm. included, although it just happens that my great-grandparents were both uh, lesser, lesser children of dukes in Prussia. So mm-hmm. I have, and I came through the daughter of the daughter of the daughter to me. So I'm, I'm a pure bloodline. So I think I have part of this. But the point is, it, it, it you can't, you can't specify the Ashkenazi. You just can't do that. But there are some that are within the Ashkenazi. There are some that are within the Catholic Church. There are some that are within every religion out there. And it behooves us to understand what's going on here. Because if it is really, I mean, what we have to decide is, are these, 4% of the world are psychopaths. Now, now, that's what they told me in medical school. Now they say Hmm. it's up to 10%. Now, what's a psychopath? A psychopath is someone who has no human empathy. That is the number mm-hmm. one criteria. They tend to be able to they they tend to be able to recognize each other, but we can't recognize them. They have very stylized behavior. They don't have human emotion. They know how to feign human emotion from the time they're a child. They know that if you go to a funeral and you don't look sad, you're going to be out of place. So you practice looking sad. Mm-hmm. But they're not us. Now, the question we really have to ask at the end of time is, are these people human? Are they really human like we are human? Is there mm-hmm. something different about these people? Did we get infected with a with an alien race that that is not us and has been at war with us forever and see us like cattle? That's really the question of the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about, again, what, what RFK... RFK just really muddied the water with this thing, but we're not talking about the Ashkenazi Jews. We are not. I'm just saying that again. This is about a bloodline that goes through all sorts of people. And I've got a great picture of President Bush Jr. with all these symbolic things, you know, the the, the devil's sign and all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, these are the people, they, they, there are movies and TV shows and all sorts of stuff that talk about this. And they, they have a theme. There's a theme that's coming out in all these things. Besides the fact like the world is not what we think it is, the second thing is there are people that look like us, talk like us, walk like us, and aren't us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where does that theme come from? You know, we live. There's that 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 one. And then there's another one. I mean, that's what Westworld. Westworld is a, like a, a primer. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's, it's like, or Battlestar Galactica is the idea that we lose Earth to these people. In this case, the Cylons are robotic. It's really easy to call them robotics because the human, we as humans, when we see another human looking person, we assume, we give, we project our goodness and our empathy and our emotions and our thing. We think they have the same as we do, but what mm-hmm. if there's a group of humans among us that don't? Yeah, yeah. And they're the overlords. Mm-hmm. So I will tell you, you know, when, when John Coleman talks about the 300 people of the of the committee of three hundred, mm-hmm. we may be talking about that level of numbers here. Mm-hmm. But they run things with an overlord system 
that traps other people. And that is our problem. They control people through very evil means. So the people running this show may not be completely human, but the people that are working the show are. And there you have what I consider is called the Eichmann problem. It's like Eichmann didn't kill anybody in the camps. He just made the trains run on time and set up the system. This is how we take them down. If nobody had cooperated to become the guards and the cooks and the cleaners and the whatever in those camps, the doctors, they wouldn't have been able to do it. Right, right. There's a very small number here. At the end of the day, there are a very small number of people, I use the term somewhat guardedly, that are in charge. And whether we want, and for the for the religious Christians here, and I'm I've become a Christian more seriously, I would say. By the day, yeah. And that I ever was, because mm -hmm. Christ came here with a message to, to teach us what's going on, but it got garbled. Some of this mm -hmm. is garbled, I'm sorry. You know, if I were the bad guys, I would make sure to corrupt all the books of, of, of the, the, the people trying to save us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I would. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's a lot of garbled messages going on. But but there is a, a a real point here of of demarcation. We know that there's there's there really is it, we unfortunately Christianity has too long believed that that the, the demonic forces are just a metaphor, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? I that agree. They're not real in the street killing your children, but they're real in right. the street now killing our children. And we can argue whether they're falling angels or aliens. I don't care. They're mm -hmm. demonic forces, and they're here to kill our children, and we need to wake up. Well, and something that you've said, Lee, that um, makes perfect sense is that uh, the numbers are not on their side. The numbers are on our side. All we've got to do is be refuseniks. No. Yeah, we just say no. No, we're not going to go along with the program. It's very, very simple, but look how obviously difficult that is for most people. And it's well, because it we, we don't want to look outside the box. Right. And that's why we need to realize we're being programmed for this. Why, why is it difficult? Because they've made at every turn, they've convinced you not to look. They tell us it's a conspiracy. It has no truth that demons don't exist, that reptilians don't exist, that and, and I'm not hanging my hat that the reptilians are real. I'm just saying. No, but just we, we've got to think outside the box. We've got to right. be willing to and, open our eyes. And I think, in, in point of fact, if you know, to get back to what RFK said about the Ashkenazi Jews, if there's a group of people that really are victimized, it's not. But the, they're not being victimized the way they think they were. They're being victimized by these people hiding within them, who are really the bad guys. And there, and the same thing within the Catholic Church. Look at, I'm sorry, any Catholics out there, I'm just going to say this. Look at your own papal buildings. Right. They're filled with reptilian uh, artwork. And look at the picture of the Pope in the reptilian-styled lecture hall. You can't make this up. And why is, you know, you, you, we talk away the child trafficking, now they're investigating finally Mother Teresa's organization. They're, they talk away the the pedophilia among the among the priest class. You could talk all this away all you want to, but this is the same problem we're facing in other 
it's it's not this is not the average Catholic. It's not the person that believes in Christ and God and and goes to a Catholic church on Sunday. That's not who we're talking about. What we're talking about at the top, the way global conspiracies work is by a pyramid of power. That is why right. the Illuminati symbol is the pyramid. Right. And so at the top of every hierarchy, you're going to find abject evil. How evil may be, you know, if it's just a little, little, a little uh, group, they're going to send their lesser minions. So that might not be quite as evil. But at the top of the big ones, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I don't care what your if you have an organized religion that has a structure, this is this is the Cathars, you know, where Christians of a different flavor. They believed if you have a building, you have an organization. And if you have an organization, you've lost your freedom. But I would say it a little differently. If you have a building and an organization, then you've got somebody evil going to try and take it over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly. what's going to happen. Evil is going to try and take over your organization. So we were meant to be children of God with free will. Don't, don't, uh, that's what we need to get back to. That's the answer here. So my, I've got these, uh, it's hard. To, I'm sorry. I've realized my microphone got moved. I don't know if you could hear, hear me, but here's no, no, the, we're, we're hearing you great. Okay. Yeah. So the, my five point program, do not participate in evil. Tune cede malice. It's the, it's the Mises, uh, 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 organization motto. Don't accede to evil because they can't do it. They only have 300 sets of hands or 500 sets of hands here. We have six or eight and a half billion people, or we did. That's why they're trying to depopulate us because they know right. that too, right? right? They know that too. And then don't fund the enemy. Okay. We have to quit. Um, there needs to be a general tax revolt around the world. I'm just going to say that. Don't keep funding the enemy. Um, I, they do it through Babylonian word magic. And if you look at our laws, I don't think you, ne- you need to fund the enemy. The other one is uh, don't live in fear. They somehow suck energy off us when we're in a low energy state in a fear. That's look at who they've murdered over the history of the world. They murdered the, the Gnostics and they told to tell you all these bad things about the Gnostics. But I always worry when you murder people that are founding libraries, you know, why would they do that? In other words, they cut down on knowledge of something they didn't want to know. And I'm not sure what that is, but one of the things the knowledge, the Gnostics talked about were archons that were these evil beings that sucked off our negative energy. Mm -hmm. You know, what's happening in Ukraine today? They're sacrificing all of the Ukrainian men on a battlefield. And they're, you know, the Russians are losing some too, but the Ukrainians are literally being a blood sacrifice for what, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then they body part them out. I mean, it's just so horrid. You can't believe it. So that's what this is about. And, um, and then, so, so you have to not live in fear and instead radiate love, make, make, you know, don't keep worrying about losing. We're going, God always wins. We are going to win this thing, but you have to radiate love and con and you have to raise your, we all individually have to raise up our spirits mm-hmm. and, Group together as as well as, but not an official, not an official building. Don't get involved in organizations. One right. man, one woman, stand up, be heard, be happy, be, be loving, family, be yeah. family, and then make yep. memes. Because at the end of the day, you can always tell a reptilian because they have no sense of humor. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the joke. Mm-hmm. Whatever these things are, they have no sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm going to take lots of flack for saying all this, uh, uh, but at this point, I just got to say, 
we have to face the reality that, that if you look at this like a homicide investigation from time immemorial, there's always been a small cadre of evil that's been just stirring up shit in the world. And I just got to use that word because nothing really fits it quite as well. And, they really and, are staring up loose, I guess I would say. Well, and, and Lee, they have always have the one common theme that they're successful. They are survivors. They are the ultimate survivors because a small group of people have had the ability to look at what they've done to the world. I know. I mean, they don't get any better survival rate than that. Right. Now, and, and that's a good point is that it's possible that whatever we're talking about here is much longer lived. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's suppose, and again, we this is, remember the Vril, there is more evidence that I didn't put out. The Vril Society, look mm-hmm. at the Vril. They talk about the Vril being something that, that actually can be inserted into the, this worm in the eye that you get inserted, and it it becomes you. It takes you over. You are mm-hmm. no longer you. You just look and act like you. But And so what happens when the human body dies? Does that real then go out and go into somebody else? That's the story of Queen Elizabeth, that she'll just come back as another whatever. Mm-hmm. That would make sense when you look at the fact that they play a much longer game than we do. Right. Our life, our, our, our life expectancy has, has well, believe, if you believe the Old Testament accounts, we li- used to live a lot longer, but now we mm-hmm. don't for a reason. I think that it's very easy to, to, to completely change our history, to lie about our history, to cover up the past. So when you take away the past, we don't have a trajectory. We don't have a way to go about things. Mm-hmm. And that's part of this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael has a question he wanted to ask. And sure. it, I, I think this is great because, uh, wow. I have to tell you, Lee, first of all, I am so uh, so proud to have you on my program because you will discuss things a lot of other people won't discuss. I know. When you yeah. know, when you wake up, I'm a mother, and when you wake up one day and you're realizing they're gonna poison my children if I don't help solve this, what are you they gonna do? Kill, they want to kill humanity. They want to kill the the humanity right is, it's not that's exactly it there's somebody geoengineering the world against us by the way that's part absolutely. of it too absolutely so michael did you want to ask uh dr merritt a question well i just want to reiterate uh with dr merrick said being out on the street is like being having a barometer of society of what's going on Everything that uh, Dr. Lee Merrick has said, I'm finding people coming up with this realization of what- In different ways. Yes, what we're all targeting. It's it's a collective mind of sense, like you were bringing up how the uh, reptilians might recognize one another than the- the psychopaths recognize and sociopaths recognize one another. We also tend to recognize one another. And and there's a, there's a, a video I'm going to put up of a couple of young, very young people. Uh, I guess they were in their late teens, early 20s. But 
they almost put me at bay in the sense that of their maturity and understanding. It's almost like they weren't, they were, they had evolved beyond a point that even us with our knowledge uh, of experience have. Yet they, again, we were bringing up this kind of metaphysical feel of how this is the time. This is the time that we start drawing lines and coming together as as a sense. And all the things from the fact that the, the tax revolt that you're bringing up, I have been bringing up. Everything that you've been saying, I've been bringing up out on the streets there recently, and of course for over years, but more so recently. And I'm finding more people in tune with the theme that you're bringing up. So I would not make apologies for anything that you're saying. What you're saying is actually being resignated throughout throughout the populace. At least that's what I'm getting on the street. That's good to know. Uh Yeah, indeed, uh, it is. Uh, So this theme that you've been talking about, all of this you're talking about, I would not hide it. I just needs to be. Oh no, Ruth no. no, I'm not hiding it. I just, I know. I'm trying to figure out how to say it in a way that people just don't discount it. What you have to do. The problem is it has to be to put it. It's one thing to say little parts of it. Okay, it's hard to put this in a way. And I'm still work. Don't tell G. Edward. I'm still working on my speech. I still haven't gotten this together because it's so hard to put it's it a in a way thing. that you can wrap your head around it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Well, well one of the and- things, yeah, excuse me, just and then I'll leave uh, this out. But one of the things, because when you're out on the street, and you're dealing with the public, you're dealing with a lot of people that are caught in the matrix. And I have to try to present it in a way like you just brought up, real. it's palatable, where mm-hmm. it can at least peer, yeah. you know, yeah. peer into that that matrix they're, they're in and hopefully opening up a window to it where they might listen so I can drop a seed. And so there is an art to the form of being able to communicate to the normies. Cause you know, Vincent van Gogh said there are three types of people, those that can see, those that can see once they have been shown and those that cannot see or will not see. Our job of course, is to reach the ones that could be seen once they're shown and how we how you do that is what you just brought up how do you get to them wow well, and, and so you're saying it takes you less now to get people to see because they are already primed oh indeed i i, I mean that's nice they I, i'm kind of addicted to the streets now because i've been out there for so long and i've gotten used to reading the you know, you catch your like you do what you do in your field, and you are you you you're an expert in that field. You feel comfortable in that field. I'm out there in the street. I've gotten so tuned into reading the feel of people just by the as I walk by the thousands of people that walk behind me. I'm out there on any given day. It's almost like I can, I can I can tap in to the psyche of all of them walking by just from the way they're walking, how they carry yeah, it. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm getting to read this very well. And I, more and more people are walking by, give me the thumbs up, you know, they're okay. You know, that you name it. And, and then of course I've got all of these posters up that 
say uh, uh, they're really outrageous poachers. It's, uh, it, for the normies, to us, they're normal. You know, they be you know, it's like, oh, that's the truth. That's the truth. And uh, I have a question for you. Have you ever done? Have, do you ever do surveys? Because I here's the survey I would love to see you do. <laughs> I would love to see you ask people just as you know, and you'd probably have to put up a neutral sign or something to make this so it's not not pre-selecting your people. But just say, do you think there is a there is a group controlling the world? And if you do, who do you think it is? I would love to know that. I would love to know what how many people think there is really a small group controlling the world like I do. Mm -hmm. Well, I have and a dry think it is. I have a dry eraser board that I put questions on or statements and like that and that will be the next one I will put up and I will get in contact with you. Okay, I'll, let's do that. You know, yeah. 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 And I'll let you know cuz that's a very good question put up. But just to and um See it. Yes, I put it up today. The video I put up today was called uh, "Fractured Fractured Foreign Affairs," and the last guy was from Norway, and he looked at all my posters. And the first thing he said to me I, when I asked him, he says, "Well, what do you think?" He was, he was looking at him quite inquisitively. I says, "Well, I think all of this stuff. I think you belong in the uh, lunatic asylum." Oh, no, that's a good way to start. Out. That's a good way to start out a conversation, pal. Let's get into it, and we did. And uh, it again, we had, it, the emphasis that this guy was in politics in Norway. They were greenies. They ran on the Green Party, right? So it was it was, but it was interesting to at least he listened, and but I drilled into this guy. Uh, about the fact I brought up the committee of 300. I showed them page 155, paragraph three, in which I say they want to get it down to, you know, 1 billion people, manageable level. And uh, whether he was willfully ignorant, ignorant, a participant, I couldn't possibly, or just plain stupid, uh, <laughs> I couldn't, you know. Well, he's a politician in Norway. Yeah. Uh, like at a federal level? I don't think it was at a federal level. I, his wife was in the Green Party, so I assume he was in the Green Party. Yeah. Well, so, you know, because I'm sorry, if you're at the if you're a politician above the level of the, the locals, you probably I mean, you know, you get governed. I, I think it's kind of at the level of the attorney general of the states and above mm -hmm. there. You probably are read into some of this. But again, the very the the only a few controllers know the whole story. Below that, you've got the aristocrats, the uber elite that know a lot of it, maybe, but they don't know everything. There's the, the very small number of controllers, and then there's the the elite that we the, that we think of as the elite, the big money people in the world, and then below them there are the wannabes, and that's probably you know a lot of our politicians. They Biden. really don't know what's going on, but they like the power, they like the money, and they're willing to sell their soul for it. And they think that they know what's going on, but they don't have the real picture. And then everybody below that. Now, the, the unfortunately, a lot of these greenies fall into the useful idiots down, down the next, on the next tier down. Like then that, that, 
I didn't make that term up. That's Stalin and Lenin talked about that. But they're the people that think they're doing good, but they don't understand the basics. It's like the college students that want to lower CO2, you know? Well, that's a, that's a death knell for the human, for plants and animals. And if that, if we all, we're going to die if the CO2 goes lower. So they can spout all that nonsense, but they don't, that doesn't get you anywhere, you right. know? Um, they're just used, they're just being used. And then the rest of us are just clueless slaves for the most part. One of the things you said that was a tuning bell when you said it, that everybody reaches a certain level of power, the power structure gets there because they have been compromised in one way or the other. And yeah, uh, I think know, that's, that's why you say that 90% of the time they vote the way you'd like them. And then that five, 10 or 5%, they go off the rails. Uh, and uh, I myself have been spouting that same thing on the street recently. Uh, that we can't believe in any of them. What we do have to believe in ourselves and God. It is we the people. It starts with we the people. It ends with we the people. Mm -hmm. And we need God as our guidance if we just use that right there and uh, coalesce behind that common theme and follow God's instructions and indeed starve the beast. Yeah, starve the beast. What you were talking starve the beast. About. That's mostly I, from our hands. It's not just money. It's like if you don't work for them, they can't function. They don't get their hands mm -hmm. dirty. They just move words and money. Right. We're the worker bees. We're the, We're the worker bees. That, you know, mm -hmm. and if we just start working for ourselves and not them, they're they're going to starve. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, I, 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 I lead I, when we did the program in Lafayette, and that was uh, Dr. Lee Merritt was uh, one of our speakers there two years ago. Uh, Michael was uh, badass Uncle Sam. He was supposed to be one of our speakers there. He actually uh, does, uh, you know, on the streets of New Orleans, he does. Uh, a, a program to kind of try to enlighten people. Anyway, nice. he was going to be one of our speakers. And as it turned out, he couldn't uh, because of, I think you had a health condition at the time, didn't you, Michael? Yeah, I caught the poison COVID, man. I was hospitalized. Yeah. I wonder if they almost killed. I, I, I was actually. They, they tried they, to kill you. I remember that part of the story. Yeah, they tried mm -hmm. to kill me in there, but, you know, God had other plans. Um, so yeah, I that was I was really I was really looking forward to meeting everybody there. But next week I'll be in uh, um, this coming weekend. I'll, Des Moines. Oh, you're gonna come to Austin. Des Moines? Yeah, well, yeah, you're gonna be in Des Moines. I'll be in Austin with the InfoWorlds oh. crew. I'm up, you know, oh. for that American Liberty Award. So hopefully go there and collect my trophy. Oh, but, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, nice. but uh, nice. yeah, but. So hopefully nothing keeps me from that. But boy, I tell you, to be able to be in the same presence with people like uh, Dr. Lee Merrick and uh, Edward G. Griffin, that would have just been like, I can't. Well, wow. I, I'm sorry. I I don't I don't hero worship a lot of people. But uh, when it comes to guys like uh, Edward G. Griffin, I would just I just. Yeah. I got become speechless around it. Well, he really got the ball. He's one of the people that got the ball rolling, along with you know John Coleman, and and there are a few key players. I'll tell you a book that I think people should read. In and I don't even know if the author's still alive. I haven't been able to trace him down, but there's a book that I think people should read to be. It, it's the it's the next step of learning from what you saw at Sound of Freedom, and it's a book by Kurth Barker, and I think it's called. 
it sounds creepy, but it's something like uh, cannibalism, blood drinking, and high adept Satanism, or something like that. But it's I mean, it, you can actually read it in a couple of days. It's not a big book, but it, he talks about his experience as a sex trafficked child, getting out of the system, and he tells you then how the system does this control mechanism. Mm-hmm. That is how you know, and it's it, it's not it's not what you would expect. I mean, it's, but it kind of, it is, but he, the first half of the book tells you all the things that happened to him and it gives him provenance. Like this guy's, this guy's gotta be legit. I don't believe he made. And he said, I was only, I never, they, they dressed him up like a girl. And so he was, he was sent out as a little girl for many years, but he said, unlike the people I met that had this happen to him, that were like the MK ultra kids. He said, I never believed I was a girl. I just was doing, I just kept doing it. Yeah. I just, that's exactly right. Like I kept doing it because I thought they would kill my mother if I didn't. Again, he was trapped. So yeah. Talk about synchronicity. Uh, I believe that book or that author you just made, I'm reading right now, Kathy O'Brien's experience, the transformation of America, uh, the life story of uh, CIA mind control slave Kathy O'Brien with Mark Phillips. And I believe it's a synchronicity. I mean, as I said, it all comes together. Uh, the the man you just mentioned and his book, I believe I just read about in one of the chapters here. Oh, she uh, talks about him. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I haven't gotten through her book yet, but that, that I've got it on the bedside stand. It's one of those. Yeah. Well, what is the name of it again? I want to look it up. Um, I can tell you real quick. Uh, I think it's, I've got, I've got a picture of it here somewhere. Um, it's by Kurth Barker. K-E-R-T-H is his first name, Barker. And, um, and it's, it's, uh, high adept. It has something about high adept Satanism. Um, Hmm. and I, and he had a website at one time. And uh, cannibalism, blood drinking, and high adept Satanism. Yeah, that is the name of the. I I gave it to. I told uh, the five docs about this. Sherry Tenpenny says to me, she says, Lee, this is like your light bedside reading. <laughs> it does sound awful, <laughs> and it and it is pretty awful. But it's when you when you read it, it's it's really it gives you an understanding how they control people, mm-hmm. and and how they control like the international banking system, how they control a lot of, uh, a lot of what's going on. And, and it's, this is why I don't think we can vote our way out of it. I I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. We have to, we have to take back our world in a different way. And I'm not, I'm not going to be expert on how, but this is the start Just don't, don't participate and don't fund them. Lee, I'm going to, I'm going to interdict uh, at this point, And I'm well, going to make go. a, uh, a comment. Would, uh, Obviously, the difference between us and them is the soul, the human soul. We need to try to figure out a way to refresh our our, uh, relationship with God and and our soul. Because, you know, what Michael said about you can recognize people who are one of us and who are not one of us. And that's the easiest way to do it, because there's a, a certain radiance or radiation that come from good people and that's because they have a soul and they really uh really do project that soul into the aura around them yeah i think that's true and i think these you know 
I think there's a lot of times you might not know my, maybe I'm just not very adept, but I, I can, I think I can recognize the bad guys for sure. Mm-hmm. At least the really bad guys. If I'm if I'm in a room with somebody that you just get a bad feeling about it. It's funny. Carrie Made and I, I'm actually on her show tonight. Carrie Made and I have had this conversation and we've picked out the same people. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, once you it's kind of like and and there's there's also it's not just about the soul. There's something about the blood. Remember, and I don't remember where it talks about, you know, it's in the blood, you know, something, something that blood, we call it bloodlines. We don't call it genetic lines. We don't call it family lines. We call it bloodlines for a reason. And a friend of mine who actually her, she got her DNA. Um, she had her DNA test for years ago, a couple of years ago, we were talking about this. Now she is, my neighbor, essentially, she's a wonderful gal. She's a Mormon. Her mother, her father, or, or she didn't raise. She was not raised in a Mormon family, but she married a Mormon guy, and so she kind of her family. When she told me about her family, I just felt like she was raised with a bunch of psychopaths, <laughs> and she got out of that family early on in her life. And she's just, uh, you know, they have six kids. They're all successful. They're 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 God fearing people, and. But she, now that I've been looking at all this, my life has changed and, and she starts talking to me about some things. And it turns out that her, when she got her DNA analysis that her kids gave her just for fun for Christmas, you know, years ago, this one, two, three and me or whatever that ancestry.com kind of stuff. It turned out all her, all, it shows you where all your close relatives are in the world. They're not in America. Hers are in Ukraine which is the old Kazaria. And Mm -hmm. then she tell, and she's told me a couple stories. One of them is her grandparents that came over from the old country. Her grandparents moved into Canada and subsequently, I guess, into California, but they never seemed to work and always had a lot of money. Um, Weird things happened to him. Like he was in San Francisco one time and the Russian fleet pulls in, some Russian ships pull in on an exchange and they go down and they just happen to pick him to take a tour on the ship. And then he gets, he gets a visit from the CIA or the federal bureau or somebody to then mm-hmm. question him about this, all sorts of weird stuff happened. And then she said, and the other weirdest thing is when I, when I am on a plane or when I'm with my, you know, it happens to my kids too. When I'm on a plane, I will be asked by people, Oh, where are you from? What's your nationality? What's your blah, blah, blah. It's like, and then he has, she had somebody give her his business card and say, we'd really like to keep in touch, especially with your girls, your daughters. This is a guy on the plane. Mm. She says, mm. this happens all the time. And she says, quote, it's almost like they can smell us. Now <laughs> I finally told her, I said, and I won't use her name, but wow. I said, so-and-so I said, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I think I figured out from this is that you are a literally you are a Kazarian royalty and whether, you know, you are, you are part of this bloodline and you're high up enough in it that it, you radiate something. I don't know what it is. I said, I have a little bit of this bloodline, but I'm not as high as you are. You are really, you are really up there just by, and it came down from mother again, mother to mother, to mother, to mother. Now, again, I think she, she, she's a, if she doesn't have a soul, I don't know who has a soul. So I don't right, think it's all right. about that. Again, it's a, I don't know what this is. But again, the families that participate in this, how do they get the, the kids to participate? They torture them from the time they're infants. So what does that do to your soul? 
And can you reclaim it? That's the point. They try to steal your soul. Right. I think that everybody probably in this world starts with a soul. The issue is what you do with it. Right. And if you're and if you're in if you're unlucky enough to be born into one of these families where they torture you and 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 corrupt you. And I'll tell you, look, this guy, um, uh, uh, which is a um, that I mentioned earlier, and I'm not blanking on his name, who um, grew up in the satanic household in Arden, Delaware. Guess who else was there? One of the things these families do is they take children and from other families that need this conditioning but don't, can't do it themselves, and they send it to live with these families for a while, these more adept families. Mm-hmm. And so one of the children that had that happen to them in Arden, Delaware was Joe Biden. Really? According mm-hmm. to him. According wow. to Jay Parker, the Jay, that, that for some of his early childhood, Joe Biden grew up in Arden, Delaware. Hmm. Now, again, I, I'm, I'm just reporting this. I'm not making a slam on Arden, Delaware. Please don't sue me. I'm just, I'm just saying that there's some, some – and maybe he made that name up. I don't even know if there is an Arden, Delaware. But he said that's, that's the town he gave. And, he'd had, and he, had, he talked about the fact that he at one time escaped the family because his little friend had died. I mean, you should watch the video. I, I'll just say mm-hmm. people should listen to this because it talks about the control mechanism of the local police and why they couldn't do anything about anything. It's it's this is this is a microcosm of America today, in my opinion. And I'm sure that that Kathy, I have to read the transformation of America. I just it's one of those things. I just so many things to read. So little time kind of things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know how you feel. Well, two things that you say, though. Don't live in fear right. and radiate love. And and that's what I'm talking about. And when I when I say the soul, I mean it's the essence of the human being. It's our our literally our essence. And if we aren't radiating love, chances are we're radiating fear. We're living in fear. And that's the the uh uh mother's milk that these evil bastards live off of is right. the fear. Right. And that's why they create wars. I mean, yeah. look at the history. If anybody thinks the history of the world is all random, I mean, they create wars all over the place mm-hmm. and they have, and they funded both sides. We know that now that's all coming out, which helps you put the pieces of the picture together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, at some level, not everybody that's involved in this knows what's going on. People have to realize there are very, it, this is like, think of a big sandbox and, you know, and you're a little kid and you go down there and you say, I don't like to go, mom. I don't want to go to the playground. I don't want to sit in the sandbox because everybody's throwing, they're real mean down there. They so throw sand at each other. And so then one day your mom goes down and looks at what's happening and realizes it's just one bully in the sandbox that's doing this all. You get rid of that one kid and it all works out. That's the world today that we live in. We have to identify this one guy. That's a beautiful analogy. Absolutely. Uh, You're right. And and people need to quit living in fear, being afraid that you're going to if if you say something that thinks outside the box, uh, you know, you talk about some of the things you've mentioned today, that somehow people are going to chastise you for that. You've got to give up on the on the notion that you should avoid talking about certain things because you're afraid somebody's going to take offense by that. We've got to think outside the box and not do it on an occasional basis. We need to live outside the box. Right. 
Well, that's and if you're an information warrior, as we've all become now, um, it's war. War isn't a one-sided thing. They shoot back at you sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know. Now, I'm not suicidal. I'll say that a couple times. I used to say no, that when I started speaking either. out against Big Pharma. Neither are you. Mm-hmm. And that's and it and it worries me that some people are disappearing. But that's the problem that we face. I mean, um, mm-hmm. that, that's you know you can't live in fear. You just can't live in fear. And and I I I trust that 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 God is going to win. I trust that exactly. we're going to win through that. So, um, yeah. And and that's the important thing. We need to recognize that uh, ultimately our our uh, salvation is through our faith and through the understanding that uh, evil can't destroy us because it can't destroy our soul. Now, that's, that's uh, let me ask you something, because there's another big point. Look at what they've tried to to eliminate from our world. And one of them, one of the things that they they have taken out is all talk of reincarnation. And I heard somebody say one time, you know, and I understand, and I'm not a biblical scholar, but I understand that some of the books that are taken out over the years of the Bible that were determined at the Council of Nicaea, for example, not to put in as as canonical texts. And, and I know biblical scholars are going to take me to task and say, oh, there's a million reasons why we chose these and not those, and that, that these are the ones that fit and blah, blah, blah. But, but they've, the ones that got left behind, I was told, both then and later, were the ones that talked about reincarnation. And I just make this point. This is just a philosophic question I'm asking, because the Gnostics talked about reincarnation as part of their spiel, and the and the uh, the library of the great library of Alexandria that got burned to the ground had books on reincarnation. Apparently, there's that is a that is like a subject kind of like. Uh, don't doubt vaccines, you know, or we'll take you down. Well, if you talk in the in in Christianity about about reincarnation, they'll take you down. So if I were if I, if I were a um, and and the idea, by the way, the point of us having an etheric soul, the, the etheric body, whatever you want to call it, that lives beyond this this flesh. Christians will agree with that part, right? We'll agree that that we we live beyond this this human b- body we go to whatever the afterlife is going to be. But what we don't want to consider is it may not be a direct path that we may, you know, move through multiple, you know, re, re returns to this planet or to, to some other reality. Why would that be important to, if I were the bad guy, why would I want to take that out? Because mm-hmm. I'm a very small group of people and I can't control everybody. So I have to divide you. I have to make you think that you're truly different than the Russians or the and or the the uh, the Germans. I have to make everybody an enemy to you. If you realize that your etheric soul body might actually come back the next time as your enemy now, you wouldn't have the enemies. You wouldn't go out and kill those people because you'd say, oh, they're just another part of me. They're just they're just we're all actually the same. We look different right now, but we're all actually the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, it's an understanding that the race, uh, you know, if, if we're talking race, religion, all of it, we have one race and that's a human race. And now we have the, the uh, potential for, as, as you say, the lizard people, other things, aliens that could very well be the uh, real uh, enemy of humanity. There's something but, that isn't us. No, there's something that isn't us. And, 
when we allow them to fracture us up into all these different groups and all these different ideologies and everything else, what we're doing is allowing them to uh, refocus our attention on other people that are just like us instead of on the real enemies of humanity, which are that that's handful right. of people. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. That's why I want you to be on the street and ask them who they think the real, who that group is. If they think there's a controlling group in the world that's causing all this, who do they think it is? Whom do they think it is? I, I That would be a really interesting thing, what people have come to. I think a lot of people are, that I've run into are aware of that. Uh, I mean, let me get, the, I, the people that recognize what I'm doing out there, I'm sort of like an oasis. Oh, they'll see me in this liberal cesspool, and it's like their you know, eyes widen up. They come over to me. It's like a, a confessional booth, and they just spill it out. <laughs> and they they recognize a lot of what we recognize. As I said, it's sort of like a hive mind almost kind of a deal where everybody's coming to this realization. As this consciousness rises, we're all rising to it. Now, some of us have been there for a while and been you know, there like you and Dan, of course, and and all of us that have been playing in this playing field for a long time have been, you know, sounding the long, waving the flags and at the bullhorn for a long time. And and I think we're, now people are starting to rise to the level that we have been or may have been. And it's rising exponentially faster, though. It I is. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. catching it, it, how it is. Uh, more and more people come up to me and saying, gee, and maybe two years ago, they got red pilled, and already they're like, "What took me twenty years to get to?" So yeah, I'm yeah, that. yeah. They got yeah. That's exactly right. Now here's a yeah, okay. If we got five minutes, I got another thought. Just, okay, just, go, go, go. In the soul here, I'm, I'll be real quick. But here's another. Again, this is just looking at data and trying to make sense out of it. Now, it turns out that in ancient cultures they recognized the rings of Saturn. We have archaeology and pictures of stone carvings that show Saturn as a planet with a ring around it. Now, how did they know that if they didn't have telescopes? Because now we can't see Saturn. We certainly can't see their rings. Mm -hmm. Well, if you believe, so there's a book by Velikovsky, and Velikovsky was a friend of Einstein, but he was not an astronomer. Velikovsky was a psychiatrist. And he postulated, based on his observations, he spent a lifetime as an amateur astronomer looking at the solar system and looking at all the mathematics and all this kind of stuff. At least that's the way the story goes. Who knows who Vel if this, there aren't other people uh, playing a role here in our planet that we don't know about. But in any case, that's what the story goes. And he, he, he said... Are essentially, the whole book boils down to him saying that at some point, we one of the planets that used to be in our solar system had a collision with another rogue planet that was coming that came through during a, a, a we're in a binary star system and that every so many years this other star system gets close enough to us that occasionally there could be a collision and 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 in this case it damn it killed a planet the planet busted up and became the uh, um, uh, asteroid belt that we we know today and he tried to get um and, it, and in the process, Saturn, which was once close to the Earth, became one of the outer planets. It got shoved out of position. Now, and, and by the way, he told this to Einstein and wanted him to check something in Jupiter that would have proven this or whatever, and, Ju and he kind of got blown off. But then it turned out 
randomly somebody else checked it and, and it was right. And after that, uh, Einstein said, whatever Velikovsky wants, guys, just check it. And and he died. When Einstein died, he had Velikovsky's book, World in Collision, on his desk. Now, so that's a factoid. Now, here's the other point. There was uh, that, that Saturn is, is emanating a sound. Those are acoustic rings. They change. Those aren't fixed rings. They're like a harmonic. And we've actually recorded the sound now from Saturn that it makes a sound. Okay, that's one thing. Now, the next factor is that the ancients, especially ancient, um, uh, a lot of American tribes talk about in their cultures, they talk about the time before the moon came and after the moon came. So the moon, and and we've heard from the Russians, and I think NASA has also said this, that they, they drop things onto the moon, and the moon actually rings like a bell. It's hollow. The, the, uh, the craters on the moon are basically pretty uniform depth. They're not what you would expect if they really were being hit by random asteroids, right? So the moon looks artificial. It's, it's the only one of its kind in ratio of the size to the planet it circulates. It's in, a, it's in a, the only one they know that has this weird orbit where it only shows one side of its face to the planet. Right. I mean, right. there's a lot of things that are very one of a kind, unique in our experience with the moon. So the moon is not what it's saying. So let's, let's suspect, let's, let's, let's postulate this, that humanity, we're wavelength. This, you know, Tesla, that we're, we're nothing but wavelength. When you touch the table, it feels like it's solid, but it's really space with vibrational energy creating this solid appearance. That's what physics and everything tells us. And we, we mm -hmm. understand. And then we know that, 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 if, that there's, we believe that there's life that's more eternal than what we have in these bodies. We're wavelength. And we also know that wavelength can damage us or can help us. We know about cymatics and we're not learning all this stuff. So let's just think about this. What if we're on essentially I mean, I hate to use the term prison planet, although Alex Jones may be completely right there. We're on a planet that is being bombarded with a wavelength that started out from ancient times from Saturn. And it keeps us, children of God, etheric wavelength beings, from being in contact with the creator. We can't, we are not able to easily contact. We, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a direct connection like we used to have. At one point, maybe we did, but now that Saturn is there, it's beaming this wavelength on us and it's keeping us down. And then when Saturn got moved out of out of the, the way for a while, they had to put a resonator. So just like in your house, when you have a Wi-Fi system, if it's too far away from your computer, now you oh. have to put in a repeater the moon. to repeat the signal. That's the moon. Wow. And I was told by a minute, I got thinking about this because I was told by a minister one time, think, you science people, think of Christ as a transformer, that you can't directly get to the wavelength of God, but think of him as your transformer. He may be not speaking an allegory. <laughs> Maybe that is what is really happening here. And we, you know, if God is going to present through through a his agent on earth, he's going to have to do it in ways that the average human understands. He's not going to be talking about this in, in the ancient times, but maybe that's really what this is about. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, and I know that's going to ripple a lot of Christian feathers, although it shouldn't, oh, because I'm, really? I'm, I'm telling you, I believe in Christ. This is my version, though, of what it's really, the, 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 we, 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 there are a lot of misheard song lyrics. We we have we have to understand the message and how it physically relates to our reality in a way. Mm -hmm. Well, and Lee, 
I'm, I'm going to make the comment that we really do live in a matrix. There's that's no the, that's the matrix. And that's the matrix, exactly. Uh, that makes a lot more sense when you look at our world as really uh, perceived uh, a matrix of resonance, uh, a matrix of wavelengths, a matrix of reality that's been created for us. Right, right. Yeah. But not And not by the good, you know, and, and that's the other thing is, when when the 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 Bible quotes that that this is the this is Satan's planet this is Satan's world we live in Satan's world you know mm -hmm. it's not lying mm -hmm. but people mm -hmm. don't take that literally they always think it's all metaphor mm -hmm. this yeah. really is a world controlled by evil and it has been for for ever for a very long time at least. I think we are at a point, even though the education system in our country sucks because <laughs> of all the manipulation that's gone on, I really think because of people like you and a lot of people who are uh, really exposing a lot of very, very interesting questions, that we are at a point where maybe some of the younger people in this world are the ones that are going to save everything if we just keep approaching them and we just realize how complex this problem is and that really boils down to good good versus evil and we've got to understand what the soul is what love and hate and these different emotions how they play into this whole big picture yeah yeah well, you're going to be speaking at the Red Pill Expo in Des Moines, Iowa, in three days, four days. No, you're taught. You're speaking Sunday morning. Get going on the speech, I guess. Yeah, first thing in the morning too. So oh, I know. Better... At eight o'clock on Sunday morning. Well, that's why people need to show up on time. <laughs> Uh, on Sunday morning, because you're going to miss a fantastic program if you don't. So, uh, but you are going to be in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, you're going to be talking about very similar subject. T tell our viewers what the uh, what the title of your uh, talk will be. It's time to name the enemy. That's my talk. <laughs> Bingo, and it is time. It All is. right. Well, I, I tell you, you you always fascinate uh, everyone because you do think outside the box uh, like few others really do. And I'm glad that you bring up some of the books and stuff I'm always writing because it's interesting. Some of the stuff, you, uh, the, the books that you bring up, I've not, I've not read and I actually haven't even heard of. Right. Uh, this one by uh, Kurt Barker, I'm going to Definitely, I've checked that out. Uh, oh, you you will be shocked. I mean, but it but it puts it in real world. This is the consequences of this Babylonian evil uh, religious system, mm -hmm. and it's real. It really spells it out. Yeah. Well, it's amazing, and I look forward to seeing you in a, about uh, four days. So yeah, uh, I got to get back to my homework now. <laughs> get back to your homework, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I guarantee you that uh, of all the people I have uh, interviews with, you're probably one of the most popular ones, if not the most popular one that I ever get.
Well, so. thank you so much. And thank you for all that you've done over the years. And and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you Sunday. Well, okay. Sunday, Saturday. And all, actually, I am speaking for uh, the JBS the night on Friday the night. The night before, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, great time. to see you, Lee. And I look forward to seeing you again this weekend. So all God righty. bless. Thanks. Thanks, both of you. All righty. I'll wait for the survey. See you. Yeah, wait for the survey. Uh, I'll, uh, Michael, I'm going to uh, give you uh, Lee's email and vice versa. That way okay. you guys can start communicating. Okay. Thank you very Sounds much. Great. God bless the two of you. Okay. Yeah. See you then. All right. Great. Good luck in uh, your talk. Bye. All righty. Uh, looks like uh, Digga Digga Dan is ready to go with his program. Uh, Dan, welcome to the program. Good and, afternoon, uh, Dan. I, uh, I, we had a great discussion here. I know you caught at least part of it. So, uh, you probably understand that it's pretty funny. Uh, uh, Michael and I have become friends because, uh, he likes a lot of the, well, this isn't the only reason, obviously, but, uh, he likes some of the guests that I have on and I love to have him stay on and, uh, be part of the podcast whenever he wants to jump in. So, uh, you're welcome to do the same thing. So. Yeah, you know what I call it, uh, Dan? It's the cross-pollination of ideas here at exactly. Patriot Soapbox. Um, that Red Pill Expo, is that? can I attend that online? Yes, you can. Go to uh, redpillexpo.org. Uh, you can go to redpilluniversity.org. And there it shows the whole program that we're doing in Des Moines, Iowa, and it gives you an opportunity to sign up for the live stream. Uh, I highly recommend that the live stream will be available to those that sign up for it for 60 days after the event. So you don't need to be there the whole time that all the speakers are on board. You can actually pick and choose when you watch those programs and you get a chance to use 60 days to do it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, good because, I, you know, there's so many things that go on. You can't make it to everything and... Uh, but there's so much good information out there. Yeah, there is. There is. And uh, frankly, I don't know anywhere that you'll get the mix of uh, really, really interesting and diverse ideas that you'll find at the Red Pill Expo. How many years have they been doing it? We. This is our 10th tenth, uh, uh, tenth program, our 10th Red Pill but we started it in 2017. We actually did the first one in uh, my hometown of, of Bozeman, Montana. And oh. um, I, I don't live in Bozeman, but that's where I grew up. I grew up in a little town just uh, eight miles from Bozeman. Oh. And we decided to do the first one in Bozeman, and it was such an incredible success that we've been – uh, now, this is our 10th, and we've been all over the country. Uh, we did one not long ago, uh, I think three years ago, uh, and uh, Michael was, uh, he's a uh, badass Uncle Sam down in uh, New Orleans area, and they're New Orleans, as they say, and uh, we did a program in Lafayette, and he was going to be one of our speakers there, and uh, lo and behold, he caught the, the uh China flu, and a number of us ended up with the China flu after that event as well. So it was, uh, we were told, and I'm, I'm going to make this statement, 
Um, my, I had a friend who was uh, former CIA who uh, very connected, and he called me, uh, I don't know, maybe a week, week and a half before the Red Pill Expo, and he said, Dan, I've been told that there's going to be a, a bioweapons attack against the Red Pill. Mm. Uh, he was actually uh, one of our uh, one of our speakers at the event, and he flew in and flew out uh, literally as quickly as he could. Uh, and so it, it's uh, pretty pretty amazing. And uh, G. Edward and myself both got really really sick as a result of uh, uh, you know being being at the event. I'm not sure how that all worked, but uh, both of us got extremely sick. And I know that uh, uh, Michael was really, really sick before the event. So, hmm. the, uh, the Those 10 former uh, red pills, are they accessible? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, can, you can actually go to uh, redpilluniversity.org and you can actually uh, get DVDs for all of those. They're available on DVD. Uh-huh. That's good. I got some catching up I need to do. Well, I'll tell you what, we all do. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt I love this land.